Welcome back to the Thrive Co-Living podcast here on YouTube. I'm pleased to introduce you to Mark Eddy. He is has a um, drug testing franchise in the Louisville, Kentucky area. I'll let him tell a little more about it. And we wanted to do this business topic, and you noticed that we're doing all sorts of new topics, not just about topics sur surrounding Thrive, but other topics of interest, passions that people have, um, business expertise that they have to share, uh, some talking about the mission of Thrive. But this is a business topic. We feel like um, there's a lot of interest in and should be in drug testing, especially as people are going back into the workforce physically. Um, so happy to have Mark here to talk about the subject as it relates to business. So thanks. thanks. Thanks for being here, Mark. Happy to be here. Thanks. So do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the business in general, and then we'll focus on different drug tests. And I think one of my main interests is to find out what, what are the exposures to business owners if they don't do drug testing? What, what are the most common um, lawsuits um, and uh, insurance claims and things like that, that that really harm business owners to educate all of us to know uh, when we should use it and, um, and what the risks are if we don't. But just start anywhere that you'd like, maybe a little bit about what drew you to the, to the field and, okay. um, yeah. and your business? Well, I've had a very varied background, so I don't have any medical background. People kind of think that, oh, were you, uh, you know, in the medical field? I got this through a franchise consultant in the area. Um, prior to this, I owned a, a Potbelly Sandwich Shop franchise, which is a restaurant. Prior to that, I was an options trader on and off the floor. So it's been kind of varied. I really got into this because it met all my requirements of in terms of monetary and what I wanted to do and, you know, ease of running it with few employees. So we're a, we're a franchise. There's, there's many in that there's over 50 in the U S home office is based out of San Antonio. We do drug alcohol and DNA testing. So the drug testing can be varied from individuals up to companies and helping them maintain their policies, which is what we'll probably focus on today because through the pandemic, obviously people weren't hiring. So we kind of lost that pre-employment aspect, which is most of our business typically, is where people do hire uh, do their hiring and do their pre-employment drug testing. So Go ahead and give us the name of the of the company. It's Fastest Labs, F-A-S-T-E-S-T. -E so the name is Fastest Labs basically because we want to, you know, in addition to giving a higher level of customer satisfaction, we see people really fast. We report, result, report results really fast, get people in and out, as opposed to a lot of other places where they're not just doing drug testing. You know, typically you're at a medical facility where there's other things going on. Here we focus on the drug testing and DNA testing. So we usually don't have anyone in our facility for even more than 10 or 15 minutes. So um, in terms of drug testing in the workplace, in addition to the pre-employment, a lot of companies need to have a policy where they're doing post-accident or random um, or reasonable suspicion, they call it, where someone looks like they might be under the influence and you want to come in and do that test to make sure you're, you're operating a safe environment. And that's what it's really all about. You know, obviously you have the main aspects of 
drug testing in order to prevent, you know, certain people on drugs tend to be less efficient. They tend to steal to support their habit, but there's also healthcare costs involved as well. So, you know, you want to, there's worksman comps claim, require a drug test after an accident. OSHA requires some level of policy management and things like that. So it's really about just operating a safe work environment for everyone involved. So what are the, what are the, um, what are the risks and maybe talk about the top three or four that you're hearing about, because I bet there are some businesses that don't do drug testing and then they have an incident and then they, it gets their attention and they start doing it. For sure. So I have big manufacturers as clients. I also have small um, concerns such as like commercial cleaning businesses or personal cleaning businesses. So an example there might be when people are in someone's residence and something goes missing, you know, that's a problem. There could be litigation. What I would like to emphasize with them as well is have a policy in place and be fair. If you've got several employees in a place and in a, in a residence and something goes missing, if you're testing one as opposed to another, that could be unequitable and litigation could come back from the employee. Now that's kind of minor, but still, you know, you're, if you're running a small business, that's a concern. Other than that, I mean, obviously if someone is injured or there's a death and result of someone that has been using, you know, some type of illicit drug, then obviously the, the litigation potential there is just, is just mammoth. So that's why, you know, they, they require after accidents and things like that drug, a lot of places require an alcohol test as well. So that's basically a breath alcohol. So we can do, you know, several different alcohol tests. One is a BAT. It's basically like when you're at a DUI, you're blowing into an instrument that's measuring your, your breath alcohol. We can also do a lab test or a rapid test for ETG. So ETG is the metabolite left behind after alcohol. So that is not showing current impairment, but it is showing a use of the drug. So that's more in a situation of a rehabilitation type situation where someone needs to prove that they're not consuming alcohol. Um, an interesting topic that I really have been doing a lot of research on lately is marijuana and where that's going, but that's next subject i mean obviously the you know just the litigation involved in accidents or deaths and things like that is where you're really going to find that on alcohol do companies do pre-employment testing typically searching for alcohol some do so um i have one company that it's, it's and and that's the thing too is that you wouldn't think that someone's going to be you know having a couple beers before they go and do their interview but it's really just showing because someone who you know needs that to get through an interview can have some type of a problem i do have one company it's in their policy they do a breath alcohol and a 10 panel drug test for every pre-employment hire so that it not everyone does it um but that's mostly in terms of post-accident or reasonable suspicion um i had one instance where a, a local manufacturer here you know it was during the pandemic and the guy wasn't wearing his mask and then he went out to his car for lunch and then came back and all of a sudden he's wearing a mask and they're noticing certain behaviors. So they came over and I think that was, he blew the second highest I've had, which was like a, a 0.15. So 0.08 is legally drunk. So he'd obviously been consuming something. So, you know, that alcohol is really more for, you know, current impairment. 
which is fascinating to me because the whole marijuana debate is the problem with current marijuana testing is you're testing for the metabolite. So a lot of drugs you're testing for the metabolite stays in the body for two to five days. So that can show if you're looking for methamphetamines, cocaine, those type of drugs, obviously if someone's done that within two or three days, there's some type of bit of a problem. Marijuana can stay in the bloodstream two to 30 days typically. So a lot of companies I talk to and there's a discussion on, do you really care if one of your employees got high three weeks ago, at, you know, and is that going to, is that going to cause them to not perform at their position three weeks later? And it's very similar to how I think going forward, marijuana is going to be treated, or I believe should be treated like alcohol, where you want to, you want to try to measure current impairment, because that's what you do with alcohol, with alcohol. I, I don't know if you have an employee and you, if you tested him and he came back and said that he had had, they can't say this, but two, three glasses of wine the Saturday before, you don't really care. That's his time. So why is it different that marijuana should be like that? I believe the problem is, and you know, hopefully it's coming down the pipe, is that a way to measure current amount of the actual drug in the system at that time that shows impairment, which is how you measure alcohol. Uh, back to alcohol for a second. And the, the marijuana um, issue yeah, really does intrigue me. Yeah. Um, just because it's it's if it's not already in your state um medically um it's going to be there at least medically yes uh i think within the next couple of years i want to say there's like 36 states that have some form of of um of marijuana uh legalization but anyway so let's say somebody does uh has a drink or two most evenings with dinner mm -hmm. Um, if an employer is not looking at it from a current impairment uh, situation like post-accident, if they're looking at it, would, might they show, might it show up as a certain level of concentration and uh, eliminate the possibility of somebody being hired? It might very well. Like it might very well. Um, the amount to consume... 0.08 to get there, someone like you or I would have to consume several, several drinks over the course of an hour to get there. So typically the liver is going to be able to metabolize that overnight. So in order for someone to blow a 0.08, which is legally drunk, they would have to have many, many drinks and stop, you know, very early before they came to the interview. So the thing with the breath alcohol is that it shows current impairment because it's showing alcohol in your bloodstream at the moment. If you have two glasses of wine, let's say, you know, you go out, you have a bourbon and two glasses of wine with a steak dinner. And then you come to work and that, you know, you go to bed at, at midnight, you wake up at seven and go to work. That's not going to be enough to show. I mean, it, it could show some depending on, it depends on body weight, metabolism, kind of like marijuana does, but you know, it's not going to show anywhere near a 0.08. And that's so, what you're testing. That's the level that you're testing for. You're not testing for concentrations that occur over a period of time you're checking for current use or recent use with okay. the breath alcohol machine you're looking for alcohol in the system at present time and 0.08 is the level that's been determined that is impairment level so i so the blood test 
the blood tests are not typically testing for concentrations, long-term concentrations of alcohol or long-term consumption of alcohol. The breath alcohol is testing for blood alcohol, actual alcohol in the system at that time. Okay. So through the breath, it's coming from the lungs. So it's the concentration of alcohol that's in the blood at that time. The other test that I'm talking about, this ETG, the metabolite, that's just after the liver breaks it down. So that's not going to show current impairment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to marijuana for a second because, um, and and you're, see what you're reading on, in the tea leaves. You know, there are certain activities that somebody could perform um, even under the influence of alcohol. So do you, do you see or do you foresee that it will depend on what the activity is? Obviously, if they're working from heights or they're using heavy equipment, that's obvious, but let's just say, oh, I, I don't, I, I won't even come up with a situation, but there's some situations that are not dangerous. Um, I want to say, you know, somebody that's sitting with an older person, but I guess you wouldn't want somebody that's high hanging out with older people anyway, but for sure, some sort so, of sitter. Yeah, I mean, marijuana is something that I can pull off the panel if need be, and I've had several companies to talk about it and if they're if you're a, a let's say a marketing or an advertising company and your creatives might use it to some extent that that's it, it depends on what your policy is the issue is is with like dot testing that's on a federal level that's regulated and those are people that are operating heavy machinery they're operating at heights they're operating trucks they're working with um FAA with the you know or the railroads and things like that so that you know to measure that so it's i really feel like it's gonna come down and I mean, let's be honest i really feel that there's a lot of parallels between marijuana and alcohol because it takes three different people consume the same amount of alcohol and depending on their weight age metabolism one might not look drunk at all and one might be extremely impaired and i think marijuana is very similar to that where three different people depending on how much their tolerance is and how they react to the to the substance can react in very different ways, just like you know, there's the happy drunk and the angry drunk and things like that. So I, I really feel there's just a, a bunch of parallels. And with marijuana, yeah, you're right. If you have someone that's sitting behind a desk and proofreading or coming up with creative thoughts, does marijuana really is that a source of concern? And is you know there an addiction issue with marijuana? Um, you know, some would say that alcohol is actually more damaging and more addictive um, to the body than marijuana is. I mean, there is some research that says that. So that's why I kind of feel that I really feel the breakthrough is going to be when there is some type of machine that's useful, that's um, efficient, that's accurate and fairly portable to be able to measure some type of level impairment or level in the drug of the drug of marijuana in the system. That's where I think things will turn. Do you think, it, uh, have you heard, are policies different in states where it's legal recreationally, legal yes, medically? And, so and let's say have, you have a medical prescription card to have it, there's, there's some conflict right there, you know? So that's precisely like, so the example I use a lot is Adderall. I have a rapid test in-house 
that if, if you're on Adderall at a prescription level, a reasonable level, you will flag and it will just say amphetamines. It's a binary thing, the yes or no. So when I take a rabbit, it just says amphetamines. It doesn't say, hey, this is a prescription drug or hey, this guy bought it off the street. That's where our rabbit, we go to that extra level and we send it off to the lab where it's it tested and confirmed. It goes in front of an actual doctor who looks at the results and says, yeah, that's Adderall. They call the donor. The donor provides a prescription. That test will come back from the lab negative, even though it flagged as a, we call presumptive positive or it flagged in my office. So, you know, the same thing is with, you know, people on other type of prescription drugs that can flag as uh, benzos. There's some over the counters that can flag as methamphetamine, you know, um, pseudofedrin, um, if you've taken in enough quantity um, or opiates or things like that. So um, in terms of, so that's, that's also with, we talk about the medical marijuana card, because that's going to be kind of a prescription. So we have, I believe there's two franchisees in Colorado in the Denver area. And they've had several people, as long as they're not federally regulated, they just take marijuana off the panel. Because, you know, they, and, and as long as it's not a safety sensitive type situation, they, and, and as long as they're consistent in their policy again, then it's fine. They just, they take it off the panel. And I've talked to several people here and most want to leave it on the panel because it is illegal on a federal level. And then when it does come back, they really offer more of a, listen, you know, we'll hire you on and this is the protocol we're going to go through. As long as you're consistent with that, we're going to give you a random test within the next month. Whatever their case is, I don't know the details of what do, but there are companies that are pulling it off their panel. And as long as they're not federally regulated, we find, and it's in their policy. Are you, you call them donors um, that, that are the people being tested, right? Mm -hmm. Are they routinely asked, let's say pre-employment testing, are they routinely asked, are there any prescription drugs that you're on that you'd like to disclose, you know, like Adderall or, some companies do that. Some companies will send them in here for a rapid. And as long as they have a prescription for Adderall, that's fine. The danger there is when someone has a prescription and they might be abusing that prescription. So they can show the head of HR, yeah, I've got a prescription for Adderall. And that person in HR is not going to know if this person is actually abusing that or using it the way they should. When we send it to the lab for confirmation and it goes in front of that doctor, Sometimes, even if they have a prescription, it'll come back as a positive drug test because the, the doctor says, well, the levels that are present in the, the substance in the, in the urine of the donor are way above what this prescription is called for. So even if someone has a prescription, they could be abusing it or, you know, it might be someone else's prescription. So that's why we recommend sending it off to the lab. Some companies, if they do know, or someone comes forward and says, I do have a prescription, they'll just skip the rapid because they know it's probably going to flag and they'll go right to the lab test. And, you know, the upside to that is, like I said, it's going in front of an actual doctor. It's in a lab. The downside is it's, it's more time. With a rapid, people walk out with results. With a lab test, it's usually two to three business days, which is still pretty fast. Um. I would, I would imagine that some of this is HIPAA related, you know, asking people to, to give their health information is probably illegal. Well, 
in terms of if it's in their policy and if it's in terms of a drug that's, a, that's in their policy that they can't use, because I mean, let's be honest, alcohol is legal, but if you're on, if you're at your job inebriated and that's going to impair you for their job and, and it's in the policy, that's something where, where it's considered when you're, when you're breaching that safety type of issue where, and it's, you know, there, there's, there's leeway there. And it's also people are, you know, it's in the employee handbook, the employee is signing off. Every person that comes in here, they sign a consent to be tested before we test them. They don't have to test, but so for DOT, we like, we follow those guidelines a lot because they're very rigid. If A, then B, if B, then C. Whereas with companies, they can go if A, then, you know, D, there's some leeway there. So with DOT, you know, if they refuse to test, that can be considered you know, if it's a refusal to test, that could be considered, you know, grounds for termination. And it's, as long as it's in the policy that somebody signs off with, that's fine. So you mentioned, uh, and I, I'm learning a lot here, and I, and I confess I know very little, if anything, about the I've subject. Learned, I've learned a lot myself in the past couple of years. I've got to be honest about, about the, the, the world that I'm in. Sure. Um, you mentioned a rapid test as opposed to a blood test. Talk about... So, a lab test. A lab test. We actually here at Fastest Labs, we don't do any blood draw. We're all minimally invasive. So the most invasive we're going to get is um, the, the DNA testing requires a cheek swab or with a saliva, it's a cheek swab. Other than that, um, it's fingernails, hair, um, urine, and saliva. We don't do any blood draws. So the difference is there's a rapid and then there's a lab-based test. But the lab-based test, it's going to an actual lab. It's going in front of a, a doctor. I'm not a doctor. But with our rapid system, we have um, a partnership with a company called Smart Screens where we've got a tablet and there's special cups and the tablet comes up and, and that'll read the cup and helps us with user error in terms of, you know, it's typical, you see the line, there's a control line and then there's another line that's, that if the line's not there, then it's positive or presumptive positive. So the positives to a rapid are it's immediate and a negative test is a good negative with the rapid, a presumptive positive, because if someone is, and in all honesty, I, I, I didn't, I thought it was, you know, a the malarkey, but poppy seeds actually can come back and, and cause an opiate positive drug test in a rapid. And it's not necessarily because the poppy seed itself, but typically if the poppy seeds are not washed, the area they're in has a lot of residue because of the plants that are processing the poppies. So I've actually heard that that has happened as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, you're just trying to protect the donor and, and their privacy and things like that. So we're completely non-invasive, but the rapid test, the negative is a good negative. They walk out with a negative and then positive it just depends on what the company wants to do they want to accept the prescription that the company has we don't have to send it on most in order to you know follow, they follow the same guidelines as long as they're consistent they always send it off or they never send it off so can let's say a donor gets a positive in in an area that's that the employer doesn't want can they request a blood test uh, and you're saying a negative is dependable, but a positive may not be? So we call it a non-negative or a presumptive positive. The reason why we're saying that that, that is because, if so, like I said, if someone's on Adderall, 
it's going to say amphetamines, but it's really not amphetamines. It's an actual prescription that they have. If it's something that they have a prescription for, then, you know, then it's, it's really a negative test because they have a valid reason and they're using that prescription the way they should. So it's really, even though the drug is in their system, it's not an illegal drug because they have a prescription. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. What are the drugs that are typically tested for in the rapid and then uh, with the blood test? So um, we, we can test up to 18 substances, including ETG as a rapid. So like I said, I've got several people that come to me on a random or a weekly basis because for their court, they need to show that they're not consuming any alcohol whatsoever. So we have an ETG rapid, which like I said, is the metabolite left behind after the liver breaks down the actual alcohol. Um, other than that, we can rapid test up to 18. I believe we've got a new cup coming out to test up to 22. Your main ones are gonna be your basic five panel, which is marijuana um, or, or THC, uh, opiates, amphetamines, you know, that, that type of stuff. Then you get your 10 panel, which expands out and that's gonna include your, you know, so some five panels actually have methamphetamines combine amphetamines and methamphetamines into one so but your 10 panel is going to expand out it's going to have methadone it's going to have methamphetamines uh benzodiazepine uh which is your your xanax buprenorphine some have oxycodone things like that so typically once you get outside the typical five or ten panel you're really testing a more drilled down version of the drug so you're looking for rather than looking for opiates you're looking for morphine or something like that. Okay. So with the rapids, we can test up to many things. Typical in the Louisville area is your 10 panel. Your um, DOT is an expanded five panel. And with the lab test where we send it off, I've got labs that'll test almost any kratom, anything that you want to test for. I've tested for crazy things. I've also got a lab that will take, you know, test for unknown substances. If someone thinks someone poisoning their food, but they don't know what it is, they'll test and find out what's in that substance, uh, you know, test for metals and things like that. So there's a lot of different things that you can test. For. But even with a rapid, you can, you, I can test for a lot of different substances. Um, do, may I assume that the more things you're testing for, the more expensive the test is for the employer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you've talked about or hinted at some crazy things. What's the craziest thing that you've encountered uh, so far in the drug testing? The, the DNA testing, you get kind of Jerry Springer-ish. I got to be honest about that. But typically people, once people get in here, they respect that we're just trying to do a job. Um, I have tested for, um, uh, it's, uh, it's a substance that's found in cough medicine. Um, and I'm blanking, I think MHB, it's something like that. I have tested, there was um, someone who came in here and they were basically stealing from Walgreens and CVSs. They were stealing all this cough medicine because of the product that was in here. And we have a, we have a lab test that can test for that. So that's probably the, the craziest thing that I've tested for. I have tested for Kratom before. Um, for what? Fentanyl is a big one. And I actually had an interesting situation lately where people that were being tested for i don't know if there's the court system or for um to have their you know have uh, possession of their kids but they were being tested in another facility and it was coming back 
positive for fentanyl. And this person was like, I've never done fentanyl. I, I, there's no way. So they came here. We did a lab test and it came back fentanyl. And they said, there's no way. And what, you know, what really is happening is it's in your system. It's there. So the crazy thing about fentanyl is it's very, it's very easy to overdose. It's a high level tranquilizer and it's inexpensive. So I think a lot of people on the street are cutting other more expensive drugs with fentanyl to kind of more bang for your buck thing. So, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I can't speculate, but I think that this person was consuming something that wasn't on their test and was unknowingly ingesting fentanyl, which is scary because I don't know if you've done any research on fentanyl, but it's, it's a scary, addictive and, and, and big problematic drug. I think it's, it's the one that's been deadly a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and people are moving to that too. I mean, it, it's, you can tell the, the drug addictions as people move to a more inexpensive drug. A lot of people that were having oxycodone and, and those type of problems have actually moved back to heroin because heroin's less expensive. So, you know, there was heroin problems, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and then moved into the prescription. And now as the prescriptions get more difficult to get a hold of and more expensive, people are going back into the less expensive drugs and heroin's one of them, fentanyl's another. So, you know, it's, it is kind of scary because you don't really know how much you're ingesting. I mean, with heroin, it can be, depends on the grade that you're ingesting. So very easy to overdose. I gather that when an incident happens in the workplace, that they'll, the employer wants you there pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And you've said uh, off camera that you have been to all parts of the state. You work in Kentucky. Right. Um, and um, are people still obviously, I'll use the informal term, loaded when you get there? Have, you, have people presented in odd ways? And Almost definitely. Um, most definitely. And, you know, I, I my, my record was a, a place I went about. Now this realized that I get a call and I have to get to my office to get my stuff and then get out there. So this one was um, at a at a place where this person was obviously inebriated, but they blew a, a point one seven seven two and a half hours after I was called. Okay? <laughs> so think about the amount of, you know, it, the, they were still metabolizing. In one instance, the first recognition, I believe um, it was at a, a, another place where the first recognition was like early, late afternoon, and it got progressively worse. So I don't know if the person was abiding, but I mean, I didn't do the test until, you know, nine o'clock and they still blew over a 0.08. So I was talking to the guy, I'm like, well, you know, they're loaded now. Think about when you first observe the activity you know, because as, as, as the time goes on, obviously the liver is breaking down the alcohol. So, um, yes. So I would say 90% of the time, people are very conducive to what I do. Um, they understand it. They are doing it and they've got a good job. I mean, some of these DOT driving jobs, they're, they're good paying jobs. Um, they like their jobs and they understand that it's part of the process. So it's just easy to go through and there's a point zero that they go and then I do the test and send it off and they're perfectly fine. The annoyance is just the fact that it takes sometimes two days for the results to come back. And if they've been involved in an accident, typically their policy is that they cannot be back 
behind the forklift or behind the wheel or whatever the case may be. People are very conducive to what I do. They can't go back on that equipment at all, ever? So DOT, no, not ever, but they have to wait for a negative drug test. So DOT, basically, if you're, if there's certain instances and it's spelled out, that's kind of beyond my scope of what I do. But once they have the incident, they're pulled off. And until that test comes back negative, they can't operate safety sensitive machinery. If the test does come back with a substance, there's a whole area that they go through in terms of rehabilitation. There's a program. They have to go with a certain substance abuse counselor. They have to meet with them X amount of times. They have to agree to random testings, which can be observed. So I have to actually observe the collection. I have to be in there with the person. And most people, because like I said, some of these DOT jobs are really good, are, you know, yeah, I had a problem and they deal with it and they accept the responsibility of the fact that they have to do these tests. So they're kind of, and they're used to it too. So they know the whole routine, you know, easier for me because I really don't have to explain the whole process to people and guide them through it. They're kind of like, yeah, I've done this. Do you feel like most employers that are at risk, because you're out in the community, you network a lot with businesses. Do you think that we're at a point now where most employers who are at risk do have some sort of drug testing program? Or or what percentage would you say? I don't I know, know about a percentage. Know. I do know that I have talked to a company in an industry that you they should be drug testing. And I went, you know, I, I made a call and they were like, yeah, come on in. And I was like, well, do you have a policy in place? And the answer to me was, yeah, we had one, but that guy quit like nine months ago. I really don't know what we do. So this is in an industry where there should have been randoms, pre-employment and things like that. So I, and then I'm calling and then they, they ghosted me. So I don't know a percentage. I do know there's companies out there that are not doing what they should be doing. And that's another thing too, is that as far as working comp, that's a problem. And if you're subject to OSHA requirements, you're supposed to have a drug test within four hours of an incident, or at least try to. You need to make an attempt to get someone in to do a drug test. And you're talking fines up, you know, eight, $10,000. You're talking about thousands of thousands of dollars of fines if companies find out. I really think the pandemic has caused perhaps a laxing of this requirement or the fact that it's tough to regulate. Um, my opinion is there's a lot of companies out there that don't test that do. I'll be honest, there's a lot of companies that I wouldn't think drug tests that have a policy. Like I said, some of these, uh, you know, these marketing type companies, uh, marketing advertising that have creatives. I talk and, and typically what has happened is that the person in charge has had some type of um, exposure in the past to a workplace where there was drug use and saw the poor effects that it has in terms of theft and in terms of, um, you know, the efficiency. And then they're just kind of like, well, I really don't care about marijuana. So I just, you know, I don't test for marijuana, but I mean, it, it makes sense that, you know, I might not care if someone has a marijuana problem, but if there's a methamphetamine issue in your workplace, that's, I, I mean, I feel, and that's people's opinion, but I feel that that's kind of a different level of a ball game. So, I mean, in general, I think most companies are trying to do the right thing. I also think that the pandemic has kind of put a, a wrench in some things because some companies are, have cost controls 
and other companies are just so crazy busy that it's one of those things that falls through the crack. I kind of, what I've learned is that drug testing is kind of like insurance. It's one of those things where it's not a need until, oh boy, <laughs> I've got a problem. It's a need. And so we have to quickly turn around and help out um, people relatively quick. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing that we can do and we're pretty good at, but um, I deal with a lot. Most of the people that I'm dealing with as well are in an HR position. Um, if it's a safety director or director of HR, unless it's an owner of a company. And from what I've learned, HR people have just, they wear so many different hats that the fire that's going on at that current time is the most important fire. So they're dealing with that. So drug testing does get kind of to the back burner. And then, you know, oh boy, you know, we have to drug test. I get, I get companies. So to work on a government site, sometimes in the state of Kentucky, they require a drug card. So I get you know, laborers in here, painters, um, masonry workers that are like, yeah, we've got a job at LG&E and I need a drug test by tomorrow. Sure, send them in and we give them drug cards and things like that. So it's a lot of stuff is, you know, spur of the moment type things if a company doesn't have an ongoing problem. With COVID, um, do you think that part of the of this laxness would be that many employers, I would think, have less engagement with their employees? You know that they're they're not coming in. Maybe if it's a trucking company, they're you know they're not coming into the to spaces where they're they used to be hanging out. You know, um, most so definitely they, that's a tremendous point too. Also with addiction services. A lot of these addiction clinics have kind of had to shut down. And from what I've interacted with counselors is that a Zoom call is going to hide a lot of behaviors that might be present in someone who's got an issue and has a problem that needs resolving. So that can kind of carry over into the workplace where if you've got, you know, they're probably being a little lax too because they're not noticing a reasonable suspicion. They don't, they don't notice the, you know, the, the bottle of vodka that I have out of frame or yeah, the shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you're out of frame that that is a downfall of the pandemic. And, and I would say that's, that's one of the many different factors for sure. Um, and I think just time and, and other, you know, you're trying to keep your business afloat during a very interesting and unusual time. So, you know, this might not be the most concerning factor at the moment. So I think there's a lot of different reasons. But. And and then with the stresses for some people of the of the pandemic, you know they're they're at a higher stress level. So I would imagine I haven't seen stats on it, but I would imagine that drug and alcohol issues uh, have increased significantly during this period. For sure, and like you said, they're easier to hide. I mean, if if I'm working, it's you know if I'm working you know 20 feet from my liquor cabinet, it's easy to go over there at two o'clock and grab a drink without anyone really knowing, right? Whereas when you're in the workplace, you're right. So I think it, it is, you know, it, there's a lot of different factors mentally that are contributing to um, to use and abuse in the workplace or even the workplace is, a, is your home, is your office at home. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're meeting with an employer um, who is not drug testing and hasn't been consistent with it. Are there any things that you that you would talk to them about? Any points that you would make? Oh, and you you had mentioned um, some information about some of the costs to employers. Uh, talk about those too. But 
give us as we're sort of wrapping up give us anything that you would typically do to educate an employer that you haven't talked about so far and that i haven't thought to ask i, I think there's obvious things like employers employees who abuse drugs and alcohol are, are 40 percent they cause over 40 percent of their on-job injuries they're obviously more likely to steal to support their habit and they're you know less efficient they work less typically 30 to 40 percent less than non-users um, the big thing that really pops out to me is employees who abuse drugs cost employers 300% more in medical costs and benefits. Now, that's something that I never really considered before. But if you think about that, and, and I try to convey these costs, I'm not a big fan of fear factor in terms of trying to sell my business. A lot of people are like, oh, you need my business because, you know, this could happen, this could happen. I mean, it's, it's really obviously that drugs in your workplace is going to cause problems. So it's really, I don't really like to do that or need to do that. But I mean, in terms of cost and, you know, there's price and cost. I mean, cost is a long-term thing. What, you know, what you pay for something isn't necessarily the cost, but, you know, if paying for drug testing is going to reduce your overall cost long-term, then that price is much, much more viable, right? So, I mean, I really talk about, you know, setting up a policy, um, being consistent with it. So I can help set up a policy that's good in the state of Kentucky, drop in information and you're good to go. Employees sign off on it, that's great. And a lot of people talk about, well, what should my policy be? It really can be anything. You just want to make sure that you're gonna be consistent and you're gonna treat everyone the same. If you're gonna do pre-employment testing, you gotta do it with everyone. Because if you do it with one person and not another, then they're gonna be like, well, why did I get tested? Same with your randoms, you need to set up that random pool. I can provide a randomization, it helps with that. So I'm just really trying to make it as easy as possible on the employer and stress the fact that here, the facility, it's, it's owned by my wife and I. She basically runs the facility. And when you're calling up, you're talking to an owner, you're talking to someone who cares. You're not talking to a gatekeeper, you're not talking to someone who's there, you know, nine to five and all they do is answer the phones. And you don't have to go through several levels of question getting put on hold several times to talk about a situation that, that is causing problems in the workplace. So, you know, that personal touch and that higher level of service is what we can really provide. And that's what I try to emphasize with employers. And, you know, like I said, just be consistent. If you, you know, want to do a five panel all the time, do a five panel. If you're concerned about this or that, do that. If you want to have testing for reasonable suspicion, We've got training that can help people spot certain things that are, that are, that are obvious in a, a person who might be abusing type of drug. So just trying to make, like I said, a lot of people are HR, most of them, and they just want their life easier, like we all do, right? So, you know, they, they have got their time that they're doing other things. So we're just trying to make it um, easier. We've got a portal that has all the drug, one of our, one of our guys loves that. He just said on the portal, great. You know, I don't need to send a report in the email. I don't need to walk out with anything. He knows that he can look and say, you know, did, did Joe Smith test? He goes down, oh, he didn't test. He must have disappeared. So, you know, it's one of those things where he can, he can get his results real quick. What about rehab? Do many employers support their employees to, to get rehabilitation or do they pretty much leave it up to them? If you've, if you've got a bad drug test and, then you're out and you're on your own. 
most definitely they're supporting it, especially in this job market right now where a good employee is really as good as gold. They want to hold on to their employees. They want to keep them. They want to support them. There are a lot of programs that bigger companies are having their HR department where it's part of the process is getting this person help so they can get back in the workplace and be the good worker that they have, they, they can be. There's um, through the Commonwealth of Kentucky, there's a good rehabilitation program. Um, and I think drug addiction and alcohol addiction, the it's kind of shifting from, oh, it's, it's a, a problem they have to, to more of a disease and that stigma that's attached, which is why a lot of people don't seek rehab because they're ashamed and it, they're ashamed of you know what they do and what they've been doing to support the habit and ashamed that it got the better of them when it's seemingly becoming more of a treatable thing and seen that way. And I think employers are seeing the fact that, listen, this person's got a problem. It could be, you know, I mean, I hate to say like a broken leg or something, but it, it's, it's a problem that we can rehabilitate and fix and get this person back into a good place for the good of the person too. And I think a lot of companies are, they've got a lot of people that are helping with that. And a lot of companies recognize that. And if they don't, I think that's going to be a problem in the future because, you know, a good employee is, is better than three bad employees. You know, I mean, in terms of efficiency to get the right people in place. Um, isn't it being covered more by health insurance and on the exchange and all that? Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's an aspect where I'm not as, as, as knowledgeable in, but it uh, rehabilitation is being covered in certain expenses by in certain places by insurance much more. And that's going to help get rid of that stigma. Um, there's people that work with the Commonwealth of Kentucky and there's um, a couple women on there who are former users. So they understand how, you know, mentally it feels and they're, you know, big on second chances, giving people second chances and, and trying to help them through a process and, and help them get better. You know, um, I've heard in quite a few business networking uh, situations, uh, employers say, I can't, I can't find a person that can pass a drug test that I can hire. So it sounds like that's a huge impediment right now to to certain people getting employed and certain employers finding employees. Do you hear a lot that, about that? That's a definite hurdle. So when we first opened, I had assigned several companies that I have not heard from in over a year. Uh, I think that's part of it is that I've talked to these people. They're like, I can't find, when I get someone who's good, uh, do I really care that they're smoking pot the night before? Or even, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's definitely an issue. And I think, you know, the smarter employers are, you know, able to look past the fact that, well, if this person's on methamphetamine, there's a problem. But um, if they're marijuana, or even if there's any type of drug situation, let's work through it and say, sit the person down and say, you know, we're not going to hire you now. But if you come back in X amount of time and take another drug test, we will hire you on and then we'll put you in a program if you agree to that, you know, and then that's, that's a way that they can get people on to get a second chance rather than just, you know, the, you know, you don't you fail a drug test, it's a no. A lot more flexibility and a lot of policies lately. And that's definitely a problem for sure. Uh, I've had several of my companies say, you know, hey, I'm sending five people over tomorrow. And then the next day, one shows up, two show up. 
there's a lot of different factors that are involved, but it, it's really just a difficult job market right now. And I've found that employers are starved for people who are, are willing to, to do the work. And when you say there are certain employers that you haven't heard from in a while, do you think it's because they've just relaxed their drug policy and they're not testing people? So that's why you're not hearing from them? Yes, um, I think it's some of them didn't have a drug policy to start with, which we recommend. We always want them to have one, but they were kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to drug test. And then they start drug testing and they can't find people. And so then they just kind of disappear through the woodwork. So I think that is a factor for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything that I haven't asked or you haven't shared that you'd like to before we wrap up? I just think that there's a wide variety of drug testing that that can we can you know factor it in and 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 do something that other places can't really. We talked about urine as the basic type of drug test and things like that. But in terms of a window of detection and what you're looking for in a test, hair is is very difficult to adulterate short of destroying the hair follicle because they do the hair follicle. And that can show a long-term type of problem. Each half inch of hair corresponds to about a month, body hair, and they test an inch and a half. So they're testing 90 days. So, you know, if you want someone who, you know, the presence of something within the last 90 days and prove that they haven't, that's a great way to go. Body hair and fingernails can go back six months, even a year worth of data, just because of how slowly it grows. That's an interesting thing I've thought of. Now, if someone does drugs the night before, it's not going to show up in their hair because it takes a little while to get in there. Then you're going to want to go for the urine test or a saliva test. But we can really customize any type of test people want. Um, Some people with the marijuana situation. Some people, we do the test before the test. We had a couple in here that was distraught. They had been in Colorado visiting friends two weeks ago, and they had smoked some pot. Well, they get back and the guy gets a job, dream job, loves the job, doing a drug test. What do we do? So they can come here. We can give a test. The, the levels are pretty regular across the way, but we can also do a low limit of detection level, which is going to go down to a very low level. So it will give you a level because if you test negative, it's not going to give you a level. If you test positive for a substance, it'll give you a nanograms per milliliter level of what's in your system. We can do a low level. So if someone's concerned about THC, let's do a low level and we'll see how kind of close you are to that, to that point where you might test positive. Um, Luckily that test came back negative. They were, they were very happy. So they did a pre, a pre mandatory test, test. Pre-employment, a pre, pre (laughs) pre-employment. We do quite a bit of that. I've actually done them for tests for people who, come in one day and then two days later they're in with one of my clients so I mean it's, it's kind of peace of mind to be able to to figure that out and like I said marijuana is just so difficult because it really depends on your metabolism how much water you drink how much you smoked I mean this had been a one-night thing so I was fairly confident that I think it was it was over two weeks for them so you know a one-time thing you'd have to be a real habitual user to, to have it still show off. Well, this has been so interesting. And I would imagine that other people would find this too, that if they're just skimming the surface of what you do, um, 
they're not really understanding the the breadth and the depth of it, but it's so yeah, it's, it's so involved in so many tentacles. For sure. Um, I mean, it, it, it's as simple as pre, you know, everyone thinks pre-employment drug tests. Yeah, I go go to the bathroom in a cup. But there's so many so many other things that we can do. And you know, I've spent hours on the phone with um, attorneys, family attorneys. I mean, they have clients who can use anything from the drug testing to the alcohol testing to the DNA testing. You know, so that's that's conversations that I've had where it's funny. I'll talk to an attorney and they're like, yeah, we have no use for. Oh, wait a minute. I have a question for you. And then, they, you know, you get into these conversations and, you know, I've just it's some interesting things where sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, I've got to call my lab about that. You know, that's an interesting and we've come across a lot of things where it is just interesting. But we're always willing to have a conversation with people and help customize the type of testing that's going to work for them and, and you know, by the results that they need. We, we provide results. That's what we do. Um, the one joke I have is one of, one of the, the cleaning companies that we test, uh, they signed an agreement and they've sent me four people. One showed up. So she was like, you know, sorry, you know, you know, I, and I'm like, well, you're getting results because these people get in their car and they go home. Obviously they're admitting <laughs> something. So you're getting results with Alex. They haven't paid for results. And I'm fine with that. I've got several companies that sign agreements and they, you know, they threaten to send someone over and typically you're going to get, you know, it goes from, no, I never use, oh yeah, I, I, I do smoke a little pot every once in a while and I, you know, this and that. And then, you know, they come in here and they test positive for three or four different things. So, you know, and I think that's another thing too, is a lot of companies, especially smaller businesses, they're concerned about honesty with their people. It's like, hey, okay. like I don't care if they, they smoke a little bit of pot, but if they say they only smoke pot, and then they come back with other things. That's one thing. And if they say they never smoke it, they come back positive. Well, you're not being honest with me. If you be honest with me, I need, you know, honest employees. So, you know, like I said, we provide results and those results can be different than what you'd think. So, so if somebody is in uh, central Kentucky um, in the Louisville vicinity and they want to pre, 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 pre test <laughs> or whatever, um, how, how can they best reach you? So we're, we're East fastest labs of East Louisville. So fastestlabs.com is the best way. There's a lot of content on our website. Um, and then just choose location of East Louisville. Um, my phone number is 502-901-4560. Um, if it goes to my mobile phone after hours, because we are a 24-7 type situation, I need to be able to answer the phone to provide testing at, you know, two o'clock in Evansville or whatever the case may be. Um, although my... You know, my region is actually a portion of Louisville. As long as it's not a, in another franchisee's location, I will travel. Uh, I've traveled for testing up in Indiana, down into Southern Kentucky, over to Evansville, I've done Lexington. So I, I will travel. And as long as it's not another franchise ter franchisee's territory, it, it's really, you know, fine. I won't test in someone else's backyard, obviously. But um, that that's, you know, the, the website is the best way to get information or just call us up with a question and we can, you know, we can consult and, and help you get what you need. So same for employers uh, to find out more and, Correct. and to get your services. Um, and I, last thing, uh, I was just thinking, you know, you make these calls in the middle of the night, like OBGYNs used to do to I deliver know. babies. I don't, I don't think they do that anymore. So you may be one of the only ones yes, getting maybe. up in the middle of the night, uh, maybe an, maybe a utility worker on a 
on an icy night having to go out. But or, yeah, or tow truck drivers type thing like that. I think that's still, you know, and I talk to a lot of those guys because they're at the scenes of the accidents where I have to go. And I've actually gone to the side of uh, I-64 between Hurstbourne and the Waterson. I had to go there to, to pick up a truck driver whose truck had been totaled and take him to a facility to, to test him. So, yeah, I mean, and on the website too, there's a lot of information. There's a contact form. You can actually make an appointment on the website. So you can even put aside a time. Like I said, typically no one's in here longer than 10 or 15 minutes. So we can, you know, if we have to move someone around a little bit, but we can squeeze people in typically. Uh, you probably also know where every Waffle House is in the state of Kentucky to uh, I, get that. I do. And I, I can tell you, I, I know where a lot of the, the, Pilot gas stations are and things like that. I've done I've done collections in a in a KFC parking lot too. So um, it, it's really just you know you you do what you can do to to help out and you want to honor the, a person's privacy and yet still provide the service that you need to provide. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This was really interesting, and um, and I, I hope so for our audience. And I'll just uh, say a couple things that. You, uh, if you're watching this, you probably found us on on YouTube, but um, please realize that we're on all the podcast stations for those that are just tuning in. Uh, you can find out more about uh, Thrive at thrivecolivingcommunities.org, and all of the podcasts are here uh, are on the website. Uh, you can also uh, sign up for uh, podcast notifications. Uh, we do them about every other week at this point and have really branched out. So uh, also for those of you who are watching who would like to support the podcast, we're now on Patreon and we have several different ways that you can support uh, the podcast and our efforts at Thrive. Those will be in the show notes and we'll also put Mark's contact information in the show notes so that you can reach him. So, Mark, thanks again, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another great episode of the Thrive Co-Living Communities YouTube podcast. To learn more about our mission and how you can support our vision of creating co-living communities worldwide, please visit us at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. To receive advanced viewings of our podcast and other exclusive content, find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Thrive Co-Living Communities. You can also learn more ways to support our mission in the show notes below. Amazon Smile, GoFundMe, Kroger, and our own Thrive Gear store where you can buy t-shirts, hats, and many other items. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon.